The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. All right, Disability Law Show, we are here, set to go. John Scholes just here to host and uh, and talk. And the guy with all the knowledge, of course, James Fireman, Samfiru Tamarkin, LLP. Reach out to James as you wish. Encouraged to do so at one 855 821 help at ca as well. we got a bunch of emails already piling up, so let's get to those over the course of the next hour, James. But we always kick things off with a, uh, some business you've been dealing with. Pal, what do you got today? Uh, so there is a, a lady that contacted me about a situation she is having with her long-term disability insurer. And I thought it might be useful to bring up this. Unlike a lot of the situations we talk about, this lady is getting her benefits right now, or at least mostly. <laughs> so the issue for her is that her insurance company is frequently late. They are you know, taking an extra week sometimes to get the benefits to her without any warning. And it's not in the context of we're adjudicating your claim. It's just they're late on payments. Uh, they are also constantly asking her for information in a manner that, at least she suggests, is more frequent than would otherwise be necessary, including from her doctors, who indicates that she's feeling harassed and mistreated. And adding to the mix, and perhaps the root cause of a lot of this, is that her insurance adjuster has been changed on several occasions. She's been on benefits for a couple years at this point. And the claims handler keeps changing every five, six months, year, what have you. None of this is uncommon. We hear this all the time, even with you know people who are coming to us who have been cut off. It is almost always the case that they will talk to me about how many times their insurance adjuster changed over and what a hassle it was because every time that happens, you're basically starting from from uh, from fresh again because even though there is a claims file that is meant to be kept up to date and that should give a new claims handler a starting point there's a lot that's missed there is a lot of knowledge that is just not passed from one to another and so you're starting fresh each time and that can really become a burden especially over the course of several years and so the question is what can you do about that well I would strongly discourage anybody from hiring a lawyer and suing the insurance company when they are still getting their benefits, even though the insurance company is acting in a way that is at best not ideal and may well be inappropriate or even bad faith. And the reason I say that is because for most people, the priority is simply making sure that they continue to get their benefits. Even if the benefits are being paid late, you are in a much better position if you are indeed getting your benefits over time than you are if your insurer cuts off your benefits and then you have to bring a lawsuit in order to recover those. And you know, you're know you going to have to almost always compromise to some extent if you want to resolve the lawsuit. And then there's legal fees involved in that too. And so my advice to anyone in that situation that is actually getting benefits is to do what you can to appease your insurance company for as long as you can manage and still get your benefits. Now, that does not mean there's nothing else that you can do and you just have to sit there and take it with a smile on your face. Not at all. There are things that you can and should do 
that should help you in order to get a better response from your insurance company now and also put you in a better position if at some point down the road your insurance company takes a turn and decides to cut your benefits off. So first and foremost, you want to make sure that every time this happens, it's documented. So if your insurance company is late on a payment, you want to send in an email. As soon the day after it was supposed to be received but wasn't, you want to send in an email indicating that it's not there. And send another email the next day and the next day and the next day and every day until that benefit is put into your bank account like it should be. You want to have a record of every single day that they have made you wait when they should not have. If they are harassing you in any way, you want to indicate in an email that you are affected by the frequency of their calls or if it's the tone of their calls by the tone of their calls and you can certainly request that a new claims handler be assigned if there's a particular issue with the tone of your claims handler that's managing your your claim at the present time i wouldn't do that willy-nilly you know if there is a very good reason for asking for a new claims handler then by all means you should do that and you want to document that as well too they may not agree to provide you with a new claims handler they're not obligated to but if there is a good reason for asking for it and they don't then you put them in a difficult spot because if they do cut you off down the road that will be evidence that they were not acting reasonably mm-hmm. that they weren't acting in good faith because they certainly have other claims handlers that could be assigned but the conversely if your issue is as it was with this lady that contacted that they are turning over their claims handlers too frequently, and this is causing undue distress to you, then you wanna make sure that that is documented as well, both with your insurance company and with your treating doctors or therapists. And so if you have a mental health issue in particular, and this is causing you additional anxiety, additional stress or depression, or is just exacerbating whatever condition you have, You want to make sure that that is recorded in the medical records, that you go speak with your doctor, with your therapist, and tell them about the issues you're having with your insurance company and how that is affecting you, how that is impacting your symptoms, what that is doing to your ability to function, even on a day-to-day basis with mundane things. If you have an insurance uh, adjuster that is calling your house every week or a couple times a week, it can get to the point I've seen this where people are afraid to answer the phone, where they get this fear that every time they pick up the phone, it's going to be someone from the insurance company and they're going to be bullying them around and they don't want to pick up the phone anymore. Well, that is a problem. And that's something that you need to make sure is addressed with your doctor and therapist. And that is recorded because if your insurance company is acting inappropriately and that is actually making your situation worse, they're now exposed to damages. They're now exposed to having to pay not just the benefits that they owe on a monthly basis, but damages for the impact that their actions, their bad faith conduct is having on you. And so that is something that, again, I wouldn't want to address while the claim is ongoing, while they are paying your benefits. But if they decide that they're going to cut you off down the road and you do bring a loss in order to challenge their decision, that is absolutely something that you would want to make sure is available to you so that when you bring that lawsuit, the exposure to the insurance company isn't just benefits, but it goes beyond that. And when that's the case, 
you're going to find that they are extra motivated in order to get your case resolved. James, there's some sort of, I guess, the best term would be some sort of manual that uh, somebody can go by generally where, uh, you know, they think, okay, now the insurance insurance company has gone beyond the pale. They can't ask me to do this. They're getting too bullying. They're, you know, they're getting too nitpicky. Or is it just kind of a case-by-case thing? It is much more case-by-case. There are certainly going to be medical conditions that will require more frequent updates than others. There, you know, if you have a... Uh, let's say you're a quadriplegic and you are not able to work in some sort of sedentary position with voice recognition software. The reality is you're permanently disabled and there's really nothing anyone can do about that. And so other than having your insurance company perhaps once a year just get a very brief update, it shouldn't be more frequent than that. And if they are, if they're calling you every week and they're asking for uh, opinions from your doctors, then that would amount to be harassment as far as I'm concerned. On the other hand, there are conditions where uh, there is optimism about the potential for progress and improvement over time, and you may actively be involved in treatment, and it may be appropriate for the insurance company to be calling you on a more frequent basis to see how the, the treatment and rehabilitation is going and perhaps to even adjust it. And I don't want to be entirely cynical all the time, and I'm not. I have seen situations where insurance companies have done right by their insurers, where they have, even though it's self-interested, they have uh, provided appropriate rehabilitation or treatment in an effort to get their insured back to work, no doubt, but are doing it appropriately, aren't necessarily just saying this is a linear progression and if you're not moving forward, we're cutting you off, where there are adjustments being made. And that can happen. And where that is happening in a legitimate way, then it may well be appropriate for an insurer to call more frequently to get those updates. Some of it is tone, but a lot of it is just going to be context specific. Right. And so it's going to be a matter of what's reasonable in your situation and what you are prepared to to go through. And so if you feel it's inappropriate, then you can give us a call and ask for input. And we're always happy to talk about it. And depending on what your situation is, I may advise you to push back or not. In some situations, I wouldn't though. In some situations, it could be appropriate. Do you find some insurance companies are more difficult than others? Have they got that sort of reputation? Without naming names, obviously, on this show, but... Well, I'm sure that is the case, but the reality is, for the most part, by the time someone gets to me, something's already gone wrong. Right. So this particular case that I brought up here is not quite there yet because she's still getting her benefits, but most of the people that have contacted me have gotten well past this point. Their benefits have been cut off inappropriately, and there are issues with how the adjudication has gone down. And so when I see it, it's sort of like the worst of the worst. And I, I don't want to be unfair here. And yeah. I am sure that there are many claims that don't go that way where it's done appropriately. And I really wouldn't be in a position to say whether one particular insurance company is better than another at that stage, because it's so rare that I'm given the insight at that early stage to be able to say one way or the other. The ones that come to me are self-selected cases where yeah. there have been issues, and there you know, are some that are worse than others at that point, but I don't think I could fairly address that at the adjudication stage early on. 
And with that, we'll take our first break. Brody, see you standing by with your email. You are coming up after the break. In the meantime, to send one along anytime, help at disabilityrights.ca. Phone number to reach James and his, and his crew, one 855 821-5900 Disability Law Show continues. Hang on. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. All right, back with the Disability Law Show. Good to have you hanging in. James Fireman's your guy to reach out to after the show any other time. Uh, the phone number is first, one 821 5,900 email route is help at disabilityrights.ca, which is where we're going for Brody. Brody's first up here. James says, guys, I uh, suffer from fibromyalgia and was approved for LTD last year. My family doctor and specialist have been closely monitoring my condition to ensure my treatment is appropriate. In February, my insurance company sent me for an assessment with their doctor, recommended different medication. When I spoke with my GP and specialist, they both said the medications recommended by the insurance doctors will help in the short term, but since they're narcotics, they're highly addictive and have a serious side effect and are not a long-term solution. So I'm following my doctor's advice and staying with the medications they recommend, but now my adjuster told me that my benefits are getting cut off because I'm, quote, not compliant with recommended treatment, end quote. Uh, How can they force me to take drugs that my doctors say will harm me? So it's very fair of Brody to ask that question, but I think I look at this differently because your insurance company really can't force you to do anything. They can't. All they can do is withhold payment, but they can't force medication down your throat. Right. And if your doctors are telling you that you shouldn't be taking it, then you shouldn't be taking it. Now, that creates an obvious problem because Brody's insurance company is saying if you don't take it, then we're going to cut off your benefits. And that's obviously going to have a significant impact on Brody and Brody's finances as well, too. So that may create a very real problem that Brody isn't able to get around. So what can we do about this? First, before I address the what can you do, though, I really want to stress this. You should be taking medical advice from your doctors and therapists only. You should not be taking medical advice from your insurance company, nor should you be taking medical advice from your lawyer. If your lawyer or insurance company are telling you to do anything medically, you should always run that by your doctor first. And if your doctor disagrees, you should listen to your doctor full stop. Now, what can you do in Brody's case? Because we're already past that point where uh, the insurance company has said you have to take these narcotic medications or we're going to cut you off. First and foremost, you want to make sure that there is very good and clear documentation from your doctor or doctor that sets out why this is inappropriate. And I I believe Brody said that it was both his doctor and his therapist that disagreed with it. Whoever is disagreeing with it, you want to make sure that there is a written letter addressed to the insurance company setting out why it is inappropriate, why this medication is not in Brody's best interest. And that has to be provided to the insurance company and put to them in a way so that it's clear that if they are going to try to force this issue, then it's something that is not going to be medically supported. And they'll understand what that means. What it means is not only does it does that open up the possibility for Brody to bring a lawsuit to recover the benefits he's entitled to, 
but it means that now the insurance company are exposed to punitive damages for right. bad faith. And you better believe any judge that is listening to a case where an insurance company is forcing someone to take medication at the cost of cutting off their benefits if they do not agree is going to find that that insurance company is acting in bad faith where the treating doctors have said clearly that not only is this not appropriate but it's actually going to be harmful taking narcotic medication that is not going to resolve the issue is harmful and it creates serious side effects it creates risks as well there's always the the risk of addiction when you're talking about narcotics and here this is obviously self-interested if the medication that they're talking about is something that might only help in the short term but is going to cause serious side effects and have long-term issues then that is something where the insurance company is clearly putting their own interests ahead of that of their insured and they can't do that they cannot do that. That breaches their duty of good faith. They have to act fairly, and that is not acting fairly. So that is absolutely a situation where they're not entitled to require you to do that. And if they maintain that position, particularly after there is very clear written documentation from your treating doctor and specialist saying, that you should not be taking this medication, that they don't recommend it. In fact, that they recommend that you don't take it. Oh. They maintain their position, then they're going to be exposed and they'll know it. More than likely in that scenario, what they will do is they'll put a hold on it and they'll send it by their own medical consultant for opinion. And if your doctors are correct, there's at least a reasonable chance that their own medical consultant will then say, actually, they're probably right. This might not be appropriate even if they had previously suggested. If their medical consultant agrees with your treating doctors and your insurer still maintains that position, <laughs> the punitive damages are off the charts in that scenario. Yeah. Even if, though, even if they run it by their own medical consultant and the medical consultant for the insurance company says, no, this is still appropriate, they should take the narcotics, the treating doctor is wrong, it still puts them in a bad spot because their medical consultant is just that. They're not a treating doctor. They're not someone who would have assessed Brody in person or who would be familiar with his entire medical history or the particular reasons why his treating doctors might be saying this is inappropriate. They're typically looking at a sliver of the file and they're providing an answer to very specific questions posed by the insurance company. That opinion is not one that any reasonable person, particularly a judge, is going to prefer over that of the treating doctors. It's just not going to happen. So even if their consultant agrees with them, even if their consultant says, no, the treating doctors are wrong, they're still in a very bad spot once you've provided that information. You know, it's it's interesting because, I mean, based on the fact that we always talk, it's like 65, maybe 70% of your income covered by, you know, long-term disability or your policy, so on and so forth. Most of your clients, I guess, you know, with disability claims, they're really in difficult financial situations uh, and circumstances, James. So the obvious question I know you get all the time is how do you expect them to afford a lawyer if they're having trouble just, you know, not getting full pop for their, their money from their income, et cetera? How can they do that? Well, first and foremost, virtually every lawyer that practices long-term disability uh, is working on what we call a contingency fee basis, which means that if you hire myself, any of the lawyers at my firm, and frankly, virtually every other lawyer who's practicing in this area, 
they are going to be working in a way where you're not going to have to pay out of pocket, where you pay a percentage of what you recover from the insurance company. And so by doing that, you don't have to worry about how you're going to pay your lawyer now. You pay them at the end, and it's only if you're successful. So that's how it works. That's how people are able to afford it. The I think the bigger question, though, is how are people going to be able to manage without their benefits even if they're not having to pay for a lawyer until the end of the case, what are they going to do in order to survive? And it's why more often than not, I tell people that even if the insurance company is asking them to do something they'd prefer not to do, an assessment, for example, and even in some cases, some forms of treatment, if they're going to maintain your benefit, you should at least consider it. But I stop where the, the request from the insurance company is going to actually be harmful. And when you're asking someone to take narcotic medication that your own doctors are saying is a bad idea, that's harmful. And even if it puts you in a very difficult financial situation, you should not do it. There are situations where sometimes you have to hold your nose and do what the insurance company is saying, even if you know it's a waste of time, even if you know it isn't something that is going to be useful. This isn't one of them, though. You know, this is really something where if your doctors are saying something is actually going to be harmful to you, you have to be listening to your doctors and you have to be at some point willing to draw a line in the sand and say, no, I won't go there. I, yeah. I just think this is one of those. I think we got time to move on to uh, to Kareem as we get our last uh, couple minutes of this uh, this particular segment. It says, guys, I've... Uh, I've had a compression fracture in my back that is causing me pain and instability. I have not been able to work because of this for the past year and a half. I used to work as an assistant in a pharmacy and spent most of my day on my feet. The insurance company accepted my short-term claim but denied the LTD claim. I've appealed three times, and I keep getting the same response. That would be no. Do I have any options at this point? Well, fair question. I'd be curious to know a couple of things. First of all, what I'd want to know is whether or not there is any issue about uh, a pre-existing exclusion here. Because oftentimes where short-term disability is approved and long-term disability is denied, it can be because there's a pre-existing issue. So if this compression fracture uh, had been an issue prior to Kareem becoming insured and if this disability arose within his first year of employment, that could be what's happening. I'm not sure though, I'd be, I would need that information. And the reason for that is pre-existing exclusions are not applicable on most short-term disability policies, but they are for long-term disability policies. But it could just be something else. It could be that the short-term disability benefits were adjudicated by one insurance company or perhaps even just a separate company altogether, where long-term is being insured by a different company. So company, your employer often is going to be the one who is paying for your short-term disability benefits. And they will often hire another company to do the administration because they're not in the business of determining whether or not people are disabled. They hire another company. Sometimes it's an insurance company that they hire. And sometimes it's the very same insurance company who provides long-term disability benefits. If it is, then Kareem's question is particularly interesting. So if the company that insures Kareem's long-term disability was also doing the administration on his short-term disability and during short-term said that he was disabled, but once he went to long-term said he was not, 
that would be very difficult to explain because the test for short and long-term disability is in substance the same. Hmm. On the other hand, if they are different companies, even though one company saying that you are disabled with the same test is useful, it doesn't necessarily mean that a different company applying the same test has to come to the same conclusion. So if whatever company adjudicated the benefits during short term said that Kareem was disabled, the insurance company that insures the long term is entitled to come to their own decision. They don't have to rely on what was decided in short term. It's just helpful for Kareem that this other company agreed. And if we're talking about a compression fraction and someone who has to be on their feet all day, it's kind of understandable why they did. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, I haven't looked at any of the, the medical evidence here, so it would be difficult to me, for me to say with any certainty, but I would absolutely want to go further with this and take a look at the medical documents, take a look at the denial letter, and see exactly how it is that the LTD insurer came to this and whether or not it's the same insurance company that made the decision for the short-term benefit. Let's take a short break. I want to go more questions and more emails, but I want to make sure we got to appropriate time on the other side. So we'll do that, pal, and get to, get right back to it with more of your emails. Send them along. It might not appear on this show, but a future one. James always there to answer them with his team as well. Beyond the hour of the show, help at disabilityrights.ca and that phone number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. There you go. And we'll continue with more of the disability law show in a moment. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Disability Law Show, back at it. A few more emails to go here. Let's see how much time, or really how many we can get done with the uh, the remaining time here. James, uh, by the way, outside the show, you can always contact James and the team, one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca or questions can be asked on your uh, tablet, smartphone, desktop for that matter, at mydisabilityquestions.com. Um, just coming off the end of Kareem's uh, uh, email about the compression factor, short term disability, you know, and you know, the appeal three times being denied. Should someone be worried that their benefits are going to get cut off the insurance company, ask them to be assessed by one of their doctors, which I understand you can't refuse anyway, but is that a, is your spidey sense should be going off or what? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I don't want people to become paranoid, but also you should be concerned that your insurance benefits are going to be cut off at any point. <laughs> That's really the name of the game. Your insurance company is going to be looking for a way to cut off your benefits from the moment that you apply so that they are willing to spend money to have you assessed. Absolutely, that is an additional reason to be on the lookout here because if they're spending money, it's only because they think it's going to save the money down the road. So if they are hiring a doctor to do an assessment, it's because they believe it's more likely than not that after going through that assessment, the evidence they get out of that assessment is going to help them to justify denying or cutting off your claim. So yeah, you should be concerned about it. But like I said in the beginning, you should always be concerned about it. You should always recognize that even if your insurance company is playing nice with you and is quite and has approved your claim at the outset and is paying your benefits on a monthly basis, that can change in a heartbeat. Remember, the, the insurance companies change claims handlers all the time. 
And it is so common when a new claims handler is put on the file that they take a very different approach and they try and get much more aggressive than perhaps the previous claims handler had been for whatever reason. And so this is why when someone says to me that they're you know, really worried because the insurance company has told them that they're only approved, uh, that they've only confirmed that they're going to make payments for the next three months and then they're going to have to reassess after that. And they're very concerned about that. And I always say to them, well, the reality is that's actually a good thing. They've just told you that you've got the next three months in the bag. The reality is for everybody else, you're always month to month. You never know what your insurance company is going to do. They never guarantee you that next month's payment is coming. They're always entitled to reassess. And all it takes is a new claims handler being assigned to the file. And the next thing you know, you can be in that position as well, too. So, again, I'm not trying to make people more paranoid than they ought to be, but recognize what the relationship is. Recognize that your insurance company is not your friendly neighbor. Uh, you know, they're not there to you know ease all of your pain and to give you comfort in times of need. They are a corporation they're in business to make money from you. And they do that by taking your premiums and by trying to pay as little as they can in benefits. That is their business model. That is how they make money. And whatever their marketing is, whatever they're trying to tell you otherwise, don't pay attention to that because it isn't so. That's just not the way that it works. They are looking for ways to avoid having to continue to pay you benefits. So you should always be on the alert. That doesn't mean that you have to be rude or standoffish, nor should you be. You should treat people the way that you wanted to, the way that you want to be treated, but recognize what the relationship is. Recognize that it's transactional, that you have to make sure that you're protecting yourself as well. Neil's got a great email. You're going to love this one, uh, James. This guy I was receiving LTD benefits for a while and started seeing a psychotherapist that the insurer, the insurer recommended I was encouraged to engage in outdoor activities like hikes and golf, but then the insurance company eventually used that against me to cut off my claim after conducting surveillance. I'm still not well enough to work. What do I do? Well, we can bring a we can bring a lawsuit for sure. Oh. Um, you you want to make sure don't no one should be terribly worried about surveillance if they are doing the things that they are. Uh, that they are been recommended to do if they are acting reasonably. And certainly if they're doing the things that they have told their doctors and their insurer that they're capable of doing. Surveillance is not going to be meaningful if it doesn't reveal anything new. And that certainly seems to be the, the situation here. That the insurance company is taking that surveillance and suggesting that it is more meaningful, where obviously it isn't, is just a fact that insurance companies are looking for a way to cut off your benefits whenever they can. And I just spent the last five minutes talking about it, and this is a perfect example of how that is applied in practice. This is you know, an insurance company cherry-picking information for their own benefit without recognizing that this was exactly what Neil's therapist, hired and paid for by the insurance company, has recommended that he do. The fact that he is doing it does not mean that his disability is no longer there. And in particular, I mean, Neil seeing a psychotherapist. So presumably Neil's disability is a mental health disability. Going outside and hiking and golfing does not mean you no longer have a mental health disability. 
And if that is all that the surveillance shows, then I question how on earth the insurance company is attempting to connect the dots. The reality is for mental health issues, surveillance is almost always a total waste of time. It's so difficult for anyone to draw any conclusions by what someone is doing in a particular moment of time and how that impacts their mental health or what that says about their mental health. I, I don't understand why insurance companies do it. They don't do it nearly as often as they used to, I find, for mental health issues. I, I think they're getting a little bit better about understanding what it means. But in this particular case, it seems to not be what has happened here. It seems like the insurance company is up to their old tricks, hiring surveillance and cherry picking the information to suit their own uses. And that's going to expose them to punitive damages. So it's certainly something where we should take a look at bringing a lawsuit, trying to recover the benefits, and looking at damages as well. Neil, thanks, pal. Appreciate that email. Janice, you are up next. So stand by. Your email is coming up on the show as we take a one last final break here. The phone number in the meantime is one 821 5900 The email we use right there is help at disabilityrights.ca. And for any other information, uh, in fact, lots to be learned quite simply and easily digested at ltdfaq.ca. Check that out when you got some time as well. And we'll continue with a few more minutes here of the Disability Law Show. We're coming right back. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Back, Disability Law Show, a few minutes to go. Let's get right back into her. Another uh, another email here, James, this one from... Janice says, uh, my husband was just diagnosed with terminal throat cancer. He'd been battling several health issues for the past three years and was given various diagnoses for his uh, many symptoms like fatigue, dizziness, chest pain, weight loss, depression. He also turned to alcohol for a period of time to self-medicate. The insurance company knew all of this except for the recent cancer diagnosis and denied my husband more LTD benefits anyway at the change of definition last year. We tried a bunch of appeals, but I'm tired of fighting them, and I want to focus on my husband right now for however long he has. I'm wondering what happens with his claim if he passes. So it's a good question. Uh, The answer is, first and foremost, about what happens if he passes away. There is a two-year limitation period from the date of the denial, and that applies to either your husband, Janice, or to your husband's estate. So the estate would have the ability to bring a lawsuit uh, even after your husband passes away, if he were to within those two years, as long as it's within that two-year window. So there would be the opportunity to start a claim. Likewise, if you were to start a claim before he passed away, that claim would continue afterwards if, if it had been started appropriately and as long as it had been started within that two-year period. And so the estate would be entitled to recover whatever benefits were owed for the duration that they were cut off or denied and ought to have been paid up until his death. The other thing, though, that I think is really important here, though, is to question whether or not it might be appropriate to bring the claim now to start it earlier. I completely understand where Janice is coming from and that she is tired and that she wants to focus on her husband right now for for whatever time he has left. That makes a lot of sense to me, and that might well be the right decision. What I will say is that for most of my clients, what they will tell you is that the the process, the litigation process for long-term disability benefits 
is actually very hands-off. It is not something that requires a lot of time or input from my clients from the date they sign the retainer. Because more often than not, we're able to resolve these cases by going directly to mediation. There are occasions where insurance companies will want to do a medical assessment and where they're going to want to do a, an examination for discovery, which is a situation where the other lawyer would spend a few hours virtually asking questions of your husband about his condition and so forth. That happens about 20% of the time, I would say, a medical evaluation, maybe another 5% of the time. So there is the possibility that it could be more than just going right to mediation. And because of that, I can understand why Janice is you know, saying that she would prefer to just wait and enjoy her time with her husband. Yeah. I just think it's important that you understand what the options are. Ultimately, though, everyone has to make whatever decision is going to be in their own best interest. And that isn't strictly a matter of what is going to get me the most money. It may well be um, that there are other issues that are more important than money. And, you know, Janice's case, her husband has terminal cancer and she's got a limited amount of time. I have all the sympathy in the world for that. And I think, you know, that may well ultimately be the right decision. What I think is important is that at the very least you understand what your options are. And so that doesn't mean that you should start a claim, but it means that you should understand what is involved and what the options are if you wanted to do that so you can make an informed decision. The thing I would worry about here is not being aware of what the options are and having an intention to bring a lawsuit, but missing that two-year deadline. And it's again, it's two years from the date of the denial. So you really want to make sure that you know the information, you know what the options are, and then you make the decision that's going to be in your best interest, whether or not that is what ultimately is going to put you in the best financial position. It may well be that Janice and her husband, financially speaking, are fine, that yeah. they're, they're going to be fine one way or the other, and the money just isn't as important to them as having the time with each other, whatever time they have left. I get that completely, and that's probably the right decision if that is their story. But for other people, it's going to be really important to make sure that they're financially secure going forward. And if that is going to be a relevant factor, then you at least need the information. How do you get it? You give us a call. We give you free assessments, let you know what your options are, and you can make your decision at that point. There's no obligation to calling. You don't have to provide a credit card number. You don't have to make any upfront payment, anything like that. It's just a matter of getting information so that you can make the decision that's going to be in your own best interest. Appreciate that uh, email, Janice. I'll just give you the follow-up number. As James mentioned, you can use anytime. 1-855-821-5900 is a way to go about that. Uh, we always talk about you know money coming from other places on the show, James. If someone's earning uh, income from a rental property, maybe they sold some stocks or whatever, while they're on LTD, uh, do they have to report that to the insurance company and will they uh, get a clawback for that? Well, so you really want to take a look at your policy and take a look at what the language there says in terms of what is going to, number one, result in a offset against the benefits that are owing. And number two, what has to be reported to your insurance company. That can vary. What I will tell you is, typically speaking, if you have passive income, so if you own a property and you're just collecting rent every month, particularly if it's not something that requires you to be actively involved as a landlord. Or if you have a stock portfolio, especially if somebody else is managing it for you 
and there's some income in having sold off some stocks, that's passive income. That's not something that you are actively doing to earn an income. And in virtually all cases, that should not have any impact on your LTD benefit. But there are situations where someone can have rental properties that they're actively managing, where they're a landlord, where they're dealing with problems with the properties on a day-to-day basis, they're collecting the monthly rent and so forth. That would be something that almost certainly would be an offset against your disability benefits. Likewise, if you are uh, actively engaged in the stock market as you know a day trader, even if you're doing it as an amateur, at a certain point, that can look like employment. That can look like earning an income as opposed to passive income. And that could get you into a situation where it would be an offset against your disability benefits. So it's really a question of your particular circumstances. And I, you know, you, I really wouldn't be able to give a blanket answer one way or the other. But if you're concerned, by all means, you can give us a call, get a copy of your policy, and you can take a look at it, see what it says, and figure out whether or not what you're doing or what income you're receiving is something that you need to be concerned about as an offset or as something that you need to report to your insurer. And that's where we got to leave it for another hour, man. Nicely done, James. As always, James, the guy to reach out to and have that uh, chat. As you mentioned, you're not pulling out a credit card or anything. You're just going to pick up a phone, dial the number, and say, uh, James, what gives with this? And uh, have a chat on your own. That number, one 821 5900 The email we always use, help at disabilityrights.ca. And you have the option of going to this website, which is free and anonymous and searchable for past questions as well, mydisabilityquestions.com. And with that, we uh, we encourage you to join us next time here on the Disability Law Show. Enjoy the rest of your night. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.